Hello and welcome to episode six of Roundabout Now, the podcast that covers life, news, and people in Youngsville, Louisiana. We're your hosts, Logan Lanou and Lucas Menard, just two guys who live in the city of Youngsville trying to get a grasp on what's happening in our community. Well, Lucas, it's October, so it's only fitting we get a little spooky this month. And for me, the mainstay for Halloween is movies. I love a good scary movie. Absolutely. So, Actually, I, I take that back. I'm scared of them. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're a movie buff like I am, you've likely heard of names like John Williams, Hans Zimmer, or uh, more recently, people such as Ludwig Jorensen, I had to practice that name, uh, and Michael Giacchino, all very successful film composers who you may or may not recognize on the street, but are likely fans of their work. Which brings us to our episode today. Lucas and I will be digging deep into the musical mind of Youngsville resident and film composer Andrew Morgan Smith. Andrew is credited for working on films such as Jeepers Creepers 3 and Christmas in Louisiana, TV series like Hulu's The Orville and Disney's The Owl House, as well as the upcoming Western film The Old Way starring Nicolas Cage. Andrew is also the composer of that awesome piece that we just used as our intro today. So welcome to the show, Andrew. Thanks for having me. There we I go. He can it. talk. I was, yeah. I was, I was, is that done? I don't <laughs> yeah, know what's going on. Yeah. Longest <laughs> intro ever. But yes. <laughs> I appreciate it. The intro music definitely wanted me, made, made me want to do some jazz hands and like, <laughs> go, man. fancy running across the stage. So what I was the name it. of that piece? That piece is called Haunted House Antics. Is it in a piece of work or is it just something you created for fun? I wrote it um, on a what's called a spec demo. So okay. basically um, a, uh, a director friend of mine had me read a script that he was pitching to different companies and he said, Hey, could you write a couple of things that I could kind of have a company with, uh, that, you know, that script. So his, his point of his touchstones were kind of like nineties, eighties, um, you know, Goonies horror and that kind of stuff, you know, love it. Very cool. Absolutely. So, um, tell everyone who is Andrew Morgan Smith. Um, I am a film composer. I'm originally from Lafayette. And, uh, uh, born and raised, I, I went to Fatima in town, then STM went to UL, um, and, uh, kind of right out of college through some other circumstances, I started writing music for, for films and just kind of, um, you know, just kept going. So that was <laughs> the short, the short so abridged version was, yeah. So let's, let's dive <laughs> yeah, into yeah, the yeah. abridged version. Was, was. Music, like was movie music or, you know, composition for film always the goal or? Um, about sophomore in high school, uh, I saw, I, I'd always enjoyed film music. I'd always kind of, you know, everyone loves to listen to Star Wars. Well, not every, I say this is like, no, oh, John everyone Williams is loves my hero. To, yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. Everyone loves to listen to Star Wars, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> like some weird childhood situation. Um, no, I, I remember like one of the earliest recordings, like cassette tapes I had as a kid was this was a Boston pops recording of all these different sci-fi, like science fiction movie themes. And I remember playing that a ton and, um, I always really loved it, but I never, it never really clicked as a career for me. Um, you know, I, I did band in school and I, I went all the way through into high school. And then in high school, I saw the, the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, um, the 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 marriage of film and music like clicked for me like oh this might be cool to do like this might be a thing we could really um you know I could really get interested in and um that was kind of my uh moment of like oh maybe I'd want to do this and so going forward um all of my attention kind of turned that direction so I wanted to go to uh, UL for the music media program because they had like a film scoring portion in that. And, um, from there, like the, the great thing about going to a small school like UL was that, uh, you're not just like a number in the, in the, uh, and on the en- enrollment, right? So all the, uh, teachers knew who I was because it's a fairly small music school. You know, you only have so many majors in, in music media, maybe like 10, um, the year I went in, so they not, all knew. Not I to was cut you off, but yeah, yeah, when yeah. you say music media, <laughs> oh yeah, what, what kind of what does that constitute? So uh, the music media program when I was in it, I know it's changed since then because they've kind of opened up to a few different things. But they it had um, it kind of was like supposed to be more geared towards um, 
music production. So you have, you have like a audio mixing classes, you had arranging classes. So you do like big band arranging or jazz arranging. You do um, film scoring in it. You do some basic audio synthesis. So like working with synthesizers and stuff. And then, um, and then that was kind of the goal. Like the, the it kind of covered a spectrum of, of like, okay, you could be a commercial arranger, which is somebody who, you know, if, if somebody wanted to go and have a band piece arranged, they could go to one of those people. Or if, um, if you wanted to be an audio engineer, you want to go work in a studio and mix albums and record albums. Like you could go through that program at the time. Um, or if you want to be a film composer, you could go do that with theoretically with that degree. Um, yeah. So why did you choose film versus the other options you had? Uh, there's just a really unique marriage of uh, visual to to music. Um, I mean, you take a good example would be you take really modern music. Like if you, uh, most people don't want to sit in a concert hall and listen to very modern. I mean, out there music. I would go to Hyman to listen to Cardi B. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> that's, I mean, odd choice, but okay. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Like, yeah. <laughs> Come on. Well, well, I mean, look, I, everyone's got to do their thing. But, that's right. but like, there's some music that's hard to listen to, right? So it's like very um, strenuous on your ears. Like, it, it, it physically is hard to listen to, right? But as soon as you put picture in front of it, you listen to it all day long, right? You go and listen to a horror movie score outside of the, the movie, and it's just it's hard to listen to sometimes, right? Like that, like there's all this, all this, um, you know, uh, clashes and all these different tones that are just really, they're meant to be scary. They're meant to be intense. And if you sit in a theater, like if you sit in a movie theater, you'll sit there and listen to it and not even think about it. Like they're not meant even to second thought. pair with those visuals, right? Exactly. So there's a unique power in, in the visual to the music that is kind of lacking in other, and I mean, not that you can't have it, but like it has a unique power to, to engage, I think parts of your brain that that don't necessarily get engaged in other disciplines in music. Does that make sense? Very no, much. absolutely, absolutely. So, can you just from jump? We'll, we'll set up a little foundation here. But what is like the rundown of your industry? Like, how do you? I'm not, not, I understand you get paid, you do work, you get paid, but like, is it contractual? Is it based on like each piece of music you write? Is it based on like, you get signed onto a movie and like you're getting paid as a contract for said yeah. film or, you know, what's that like? Usually it's a, it's a, um, kind of like a 1099 situation. Okay. Usually so contract work. Yeah, yeah. Usually contract work. So, um, and it just depends on what the, what the project is. Sometimes it's for a longer period, but it's always, it's always, uh, <clears throat> work for higher contract situation as to how long it goes um, and what's covered in it. You know, it's, so I'm self-employed effectively. In, Pretty I, much, yeah. I have my own LLC and S Corp and whatnot. And that's, you know, that's how I'm for better or for worse. That's how this works. <laughs> okay, cool. So <laughs> how is it f like, why Youngsville is like, cause obviously when we think of movies, we think of California. Yeah. So how is that working out? Like how, you know, um, just like kind of momentum has been on my side here. So, um, as most people know, there are film tax credits in Louisiana. Um, they kind of peaked in their usage in about 2015. That was like the, in 2015, I think it was 2015, 2014, 2015, uh, Louisiana was the film making capital of the world. Like the most movies were shot here. Um, like box office gross. It was like, maybe it was, maybe it was top box office gross. Maybe I could be, someone's going to come after me. But my point being is that it was very, like there was a lot of stuff going on here. Um, and so in 2010, whenever I came back from this music festival, I had this demo. I had done a couple things. Um, I had done some commercials locally. I had done um, one feature film, which was for a UL professor at the time. And um, I had also recorded some music at this classical music festival that I had gone to as like a crash course for film composers and um, which unfortunately doesn't exist anymore, but whatever. <laughs> um, and so I, I brought my CD. I had like a CD that I wrote my information on and I brought it to this company that was making TV movies downtown and I go to their office and I had tried to make contact with them in the past and I just never got anywhere. I actually go into the, into the building there's one dude in the, in the building. There's no one else there. They're all out shooting something. 
I hand him the CD. I was like, I'm a composer. It's like, okay, cool. I hand it to this guy. This guy's like, this guy's like a lowly PA. Like, like he's just like, he's just there. Probably the like janitor. Yeah. Uh, like one step above the janitor, basically. Um, actually maybe one step below the janitor. And so I, I go back. I was at one semester left in college. I was in a, um, I think I was in an English class or something. And I got this phone call from a number I didn't recognize. I was like, that's weird. And, um, and it was a director of a movie that had shot here. Um, of, at the time, a guy was living here. And uh, he was like, hey, I on the voicemail, I was like, hey, I picked up your CD with a bunch of stuff on the desk. And I it was in my car. And I looked at it. I was like, all right, I'll put it in. And he put it in. And he liked it. And he's like, we want to come in and talk about demoing for this movie. And that was how I got my first like TV movie was because this guy had picked up the CD off of his off of a desk, and it's it's funny. It sounds like something straight out of a scene of a TV movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it'll be That's a cool. compo- It'll be a composing story. That'll yeah. be the Hallmark movie. <laughs> Maybe you can make that movie one day. It'd be fantastic. Yeah. Trademark. Whenever, Nobody take that. That's mine. I, I was telling my wife that you know I was interviewing. She's like, what, "Has he done anything I've, I've, I've seen?" I'm like, "You watched that stinking Lifetime Louisiana movie? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm yep, thinking yep. he worked on that. You know. Yep. So what was that first film, if you don't mind? Uh, it's called Swamp Shark. Swamp Shark. Nice. Dude, was Swamp that like shark. the whole Sharknado thing? Like, is this is pre-Sharknado. This yeah. is a sci-fi <laughs> movie. So Pre-Sharknado. So, okay. So, and also, what's funny about that situation was at this Aspen Music Festival, um, I was there was five composers. I was the only one not from a major city. Everyone else was from a major city. Um, and we were talking one night of like, oh, where are you from? That's it. We're all in this little classroom. Like, basically, they converted this, like, pre-K classroom into us sitting in this room. So there's five of us sitting in our computers all day long. Like everyone else got to go out on hikes and do stuff and do all these different things. We're sitting here writing music for a month, not doing anything else but that. And one night we're like, Hey, like, where's everybody from? Blah, blah, blah. And I, and I was like, well, and at the time, at the time swamp people was really big. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it comes to me and I think to myself, how do I explain where I'm from? <laughs> like, like, what do I say? And so I had the thought of like, either I, I'm like, uh, have you heard of, I could say like, oh, have you heard of swamp people? <laughs> I did that. When I lived in Arkansas, <laughs> that's what I did. <laughs> like, but, where are you from? I'm like, Louisiana, what part? I'm like, you know swamp people? Yeah. The response I got was, well, you don't sound like yeah. them. I'm like, so, I'm educated. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. This is, there's a few more miles from between us. But actually, funny enough, a friend of mine worked on VFX on at this company as well, and he had just posted the trailer for this movie, Swamp Shark. And I was like, I'm going to show them the trailer for this movie. And I showed it to them, and I thought to myself, man, I would do anything to score this movie. And then probably six months later, I was, which is interesting. But that would, that's wh- the, why? Why, why, why would you say, like, you would do anything to score because, that movie? Because part of what's so hard in this industry is, is there's no, like, one break, right? So people think, oh, it's my big break. It's not really how this works, especially in the composing world. It's kind of like... Uh, it's kind of more stair steps. Mm-hmm. So like it's a big deal for someone to take a risk on you if you've never done anything, right? It's the same thing of like, uh, you know, if you just started a business and there's an established business down the road that does the same thing, why would I go to your business and not the person down the road? Especially if I'm coming to you with my movie, which I spent a million plus dollars on, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And I guess I would have been like, I would have been you know, 22 at the time. So, uh, you know, you're entrusting this movie to a 22-year-old who has never scored anything that that was commercially viable, right? So, like, that's a big deal um, in the sense that, like, it's this stair-step thing, right? You're not established, so you have to have some kind of credit for but, it. But then at the same time, as a consumer, right, as someone who loves film, like, I kind of get burnt out because I notice they use the same artists for everything for like a period of time until yep. everyone's like, okay, I'm done. Like for me, my observation, Lin-Manuel Miranda is on everything right yeah. now. And yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm tired of the talky, fast, singing song. You know, like yeah. was, like Hamilton sounds the same as Encanto. It sounds the same as Moana, you know, you know and, and things like that. And I'm like, man, like it'd be nice to, ha- I, don't get me wrong. There are people who make careers out of it. John Williams, you know, yeah. his stuff is so vast, and he's been in the industry for so long. But, but yeah, I get I get tired of certain people because they're like, oh, we're cashing in. Everyone's cashing in on this style right now because it's yeah. What's I mean, and also to some extent, they have to do it as well because they know their time is limited, and and it's not the norm. Like you get known for one thing, 
right? Like John Williams is known as John Williams, but you don't know him as Johnny Williams who played piano on the Peter Gunn recordings, right? Like right. he actually is a jazz pianist and like he, he write, he has done scores where he like recorded like sculptures that you could bow, but nobody wants to hear that right. from John Williams. Nobody, nobody wants experimental John Williams music. So you get known for your one thing and that's what they're going to pay you for. So there's a little bit of like, they know they have to capitalize as well. Cause yeah. if I don't capitalize while I'm hot, then, well, then I'm not going to, because eventually the taste is going to change. People are going to move on. So is it super competitive in your industry? Yes. Insanely competitive. Well, and that kind of leads me to another question I wanted to ask, which is, and I'm sure this changes as your career goes on, which is film quality. Yeah. Early on, whether it's Swamp Shark or, you know, Titanic 2, <laughs> Electric Boogaloo, you don't really care, right? You're just trying to get in. Yeah. Does that change as time goes on? Are you looking for? Yeah. I mean, you know, so so there's there. One time, a composer told me this, and I think this is um, a really good barometer, and it hasn't really changed for me. Which you got to have one of three things. Um, you got to have either need to want to work with the people, want to work on the project, or you need the money. Right. Those are like the three things that you got to choose between. And theoretically, as you advance in your career, you should be looking back and saying, oh, I just did, you know, I just did the most recent Star Wars film. I probably shouldn't do this Lifetime thriller movie, right? Because also there's like a certain amount of, oh, well, now you're backsliding into this other gig, right? Um, But I mean, at the same time, I know of A-list, B-list composers who will do Lifetime movies. They just don't get credit because they were just kind of, they either a buddy of theirs is like, hey, I need a score or, you know, or they're free and they said hey i could use some extra money or whatever you know it sounds like this there should be a fourth thing which is i need the resume credit right yeah well but that but that's that's, that's the, i want to be on the movie right? and also yeah. also if you, the resume credit is also chances are you want the money too yeah <laughs> true <laughs> so like and but the resume credit is like i want to be on the movie it, and i want to work on the with the people right so um so if the other of two of the th- three things aren't available like what's the 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 movie that you like or the ip or whatever you want to work on the most like what interests you outside of money outside of i mean the three the three big things i would love to work on just because they were huge whenever and influential to me as a kid i mean i would love to work on uh, a star wars property or a star trek property or um i would also love to work on a jurassic park property because those were like major childhood you know yeah um, I mean, there's other things that I, the other franchises that would be cool to work in, but, but they're not making them, you know, like back to the future is an amazing yeah. series, but they're not making that anymore. And nor do I think they should. Is, is there, is, is sci-fi the, the genre you like to work on the most? Uh, science fiction is, uh, is definitely one of my favorites for sure. I mean, I, I don't get to work in it very often. It's kind of an expensive genre to make, um, you know, like it's easy to make a horror movie. It's easy to make a, I mean, easy relatively. It's easy to make financially, financially, you know, like you're not, it's in a horror movie. Not every shot is a VFX shot. Whereas in like some of these properties, every shot is a VFX shot. So, um, you know, it's not something you get to work on often. So, okay. I like to ask people like what their favorite movie is. And then they're like, I can't just pick one. So I say top three. What do you think are the three best movies Score wise, mm. that's oh, come on, man. Uh, I mean, five. I don't. Whatever. Five, okay. Pick a number. Wait, like, how much more I, time I, do we have left in this podcast? Let me piggyback uh, a while. So go ahead. <laughs> let me piggyback with another question sure, that sure. might kind of help. Which is, uh, I was watching some of your stuff earlier, and it, it got me thinking. I was paying attention to some, uh, you know, trailer, and, and I was listening to the music intentionally. Yeah, which is not something I do very often, as just a casual viewer of a movie. A lot of times, and maybe that's what it's supposed to be, is the music's just supposed to kind of complement what's going on, and you're not supposed to be paying very much attention to it. But there are some that that kind of go past that, and we're talking about Hans Zimmer, and Dune is one recently Absolutely. that I was like, oh my god, this is yeah. like, I don't know, it kind of blew my mind a little bit. Are there movies out there that maybe you could suggest that hey, go check, go watch that again, and really listen, really yeah. pay attention to what they're doing? Yeah, I mean, man, there's. There's a lot of stuff. I mean, there's so many. Um, I mean, Dune's a great example, but there's, I mean, any of the, um, personally to me, like the newer Star Wars, not the new, not the not the sequel 
Star Wars, but like the prequel Star Wars, like as, if, love them or hate them, like John Williams like went hard on all that. So yeah. so like I mean, just the stuff he's doing, it's just kind of it just feels like they were they just said all right, John. So so for people who aren't you want. super <laughs> you know? movie buffs, yeah. I'm gonna name some movies that John Williams is credited <laughs> with. How about that? <laughs> we got Star Wars, we got Jurassic Park, Harry Potter. Uh, what else am I missing? Uh, pretty, e. Yeah, E.T. E. I mean, you know. Yeah, just Jurassic, Iconic. Yeah, you said Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's pretty much he's one of the top composers. Ever, Sorry, I have to say that because we said his name like six times. Yeah, already, yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. This but, is once again very niche content. Yeah, well, but like for me, for example, I'm a huge <laughs> Disney, Marvel, Star Wars yeah. buff, and yeah. like recently, Marvel released a, a special feature, like a one-off, one-hour episode directed by Michael Chiacchino, which yeah. I thought was really cool. Um, he's the guy who's done a lot of the music for Marvel, like the Marvel intro stuff. Like he wrote that. Um, but he, it's a black and white horror flick, uh, set in the Marvel cinematic universe and everything sounds familiar, but it's spooky. It's different. It sounds like, so like I'm a nerd. I pay attention to these things. And like, there are times my wife thinks I'm crazy. I'm saying like, man, this sound like this score is great. It's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you don't hear yeah. all that yeah you know but yeah no I, I mean it it is it's sometimes one of those things that people actually knock like i remember i remember whenever the last harry potter not the last harry potter movie the last harry potter movie that john williams did people some of the critics came out and were like oh the music's overwrought and it's just so over the top and it's like you're watching a movie about kid wizards i think you can get over <laughs> it you know like i feel like that would have been a better so like, come on. franchise so, come on kid so wizards like, do you take your industry seriously like that or me or like it's i mean you kind of have to i okay. mean like that like you can't i mean sometimes so there's a thing called a spotting session and a spotting session is when you sit down with the director and you go through the movie or whoever whoever's in charge it can be a producer it can be a director and you you sit down and you go through and you watch the movie like the whole movie over and you say okay all the music like music here starts here goes out here and like at this exact moment out of this exact moment i needed to feel like this I'll, you know this is what's happening emotionally here's some moments we need to hit um you know here's the important things about this scene and especially on these lower budget movies um it's hard for me to take it seriously when i'm doing that because i have to take it seriously the rest of the time like if you score it as a joke it doesn't work right you know even in a comedy really effective comedy scoring is not played up for the laughs. Like it's, it's like, it's kind of in on the joke, right? It's not, or I shouldn't say it's not in on the joke. It's, it's in on it being serious. Right. And then you kind of play with, okay, when do we take the music out? When do we take the music in? Like no one wants to watch a comedy movie with a laugh track effectively. Right. right? So you kind of have to be super serious about what you're doing. Um, for however long you're on that movie, whether it's a month, two weeks, three months, whatever. So like I sometimes will be a little silly during the spotting session. I'll make jokes about it. And sometimes that goes over not so great. <laughs> well, it sounds like comedies might be actually kind of difficult to score, right? They are. Well, like, like, if, yeah. what, what genre is like the most challenging for you personally? Um, I mean, there's just different demands on everything. Okay. So, so uh, there are movies that are just difficult from like a writing perspective. So I, I did a horror movie um recently that actually just went just premiered in the buffalo film festival that was like the director came to me and said hey we're doing like throwback everything so like we're doing uh like we shot it on one to make it look like it's on medium format which is like an old style film we have the actors acting as if they're actors from like the 1930s we have this it's shot on a set it's it's a horror movie based in world uh, during World War One in like the trenches, and we shot it on a set in a and it looks like a set quote unquote like it looks like an older movie but it's with updated looks, and so it became this thing of like, okay, what would it sound like if we asked a 1930s 1940s composer to score a horror film, um, and you need to do that, <laughs> wow. so so and and that just like. If you if if we if for anyone who's like watched these movies, it's like they're they're very complicated. Like musically, they're very complicated. You know, you had a bunch of classical composers writing for film, writing for film at the time. Very very talented composer composers, but it was it's not like today. Like I mean, now you'll listen to some movies and they have like one chord that just plays forever. That was not a thing that happened in the 1930s and 1920s. They were just kind of figuring out how this situation worked. 
so um like that's complicated from like a different perspective like sure um verse and also we were going to live record it so when we recorded it like we had to make sure that it was all like it's just a whole lot of moving parts to go back and forth on okay that spawns two <laughs> questions for me first one <laughs> is how different is you know Film composition, like what is what is film composition in the 21st century look like? Because when I hear of any music composition, I'm thinking Beethoven cutting the piano legs off, laying yeah, on yeah. the floor, writing music. That's what know? I do. That's that's what I do. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> He's got a collection of piano table legs <laughs> at his house. Yeah. No, but like, what is it like today? Like, like is it just like using a MIDI keyboard where everything's just automatically recorded in a computer? Or I, so so it just depends. It depends on probably the great vast majority of it only goes beyond a certain point, right? So so everybody from from Hans Zimmer down to me, down to the person who's just starting, uh, has to produce what's called mock-ups. And mock-ups are just electronic representations of uh, of the score. So that means you're sitting at your computer, you have the video playing, usually. Sometimes you don't, but nine times out of ten, you have a video playing of, the, of what's called a locked cut of your film. Um, so we have basically like all the editing is done, but there's no color. There's no like final polish pass. The audio is not done and your VFX aren't done. So if you have a VFX, you know. But you can time everything. Yeah. So you have all the big markers. So if like a, a, if the VFX aren't done, you know, if you were doing some big movie and here a spaceship flies over, it would have like a thing that would show up or you'd have an animatic or something. It's some but rough the representation. The spaceship just moving across. <laughs> yeah. The I mean, I've had, I've had the gambit, but like generally there's some kind of marker that shows you, but it's not final. Right. Um, and then you write your music, you, you use what's called samples. So it's just like a recording of, okay, it's a trumpet playing a middle C you push your keyboard middle C and then the trumpet plays whatever articulation you want it to play. And then you mock it up to be to sound like a live orchestra as best you can. And then um, and then you turn that in. Right. And and for a lot of people, for even up to TV shows, that's as far as we go. Right. Like I'm co-writing a Disney animated show right now. And that's as far as we go. Like there's no need to go and get an actual orchestra. No, there's no orchestra. Well, there's no time. There's no time. There's no money. There's no there's I mean, we're writing. Um, I mean, I'm working on a. a uh, yeah, like that, that most of these shows and scores are done, you know, a TV movie, you do anywhere between three and six weeks and you got to write sometimes up to an hour of music plus. So there's just no time for you to, Hey, well, let's go record it. And also that's incredibly expensive to do, even with a lot of recording being done overseas. Um, you know, you're doubling, tripling the budget just to do that. Um, and then people above that, if you're going to go do that, you have a whole team that um, basically takes the data out of your computer and then puts it in a readable format for musicians. Then you ship that off to wherever you're recording, whether that's Eastern Europe or in London or in California or in Tennessee. And then, um, you know, they record it and you can be there. You don't have to be there. I've done recording sessions where I sat in my office in Youngsville and we're recording in Budapest and Hungary and my audio engineer is in Germany and my, my orchestrator is in Michigan and, you know, and the people listening to the score are in LA, you know, like you don't have to be there to record it. Um, and then you get the final mix and you lay it back to picture. So, you know, it's, it just kind of depends on what your budget is. <laughs> Very different than from, I'm sure what it used to be where you probably couldn't do this job from Youngsville. No. 20 years ago. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you, you'd you have to be in LA. Everything was live. It's also, whenever you listen to a bunch of these old scores, um, you know, like these like low budget, like um, almost like in my mind, like Mystery Science Theater comes to mind where you have like these low budget, like 1960s, 1970s movies that were just played at the drive-in, right? And you listen to the score, you're like, what is happening? Like, why, why does this sound like this was recorded with three kazoos and a saxophone? I don't understand. And the answer is because no, there was no, like there was no, like it had to be live recorded, right? Either that or it's or it's a synthesizer playing something. Like there's no version of like, oh, we have all these tools to to create an orchestra. You know, they were like, oh, we can afford we can afford five people. Figure it out, you know. Wow. Uh sorry. We're both looking at our he notes. He answered right like now. five of my questions in that one statement. So I'm like, check, 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 check. Uh, 
Um, okay. No, that does lead me to another one that I was thinking about. When you're talking about, um, and this may be more of that side of, I don't know, the orchestra in Budapest or wherever it is. Are, are session musicians normally hired like as a, as a, as a band slash group or are those people found individually and hired? How does that work? Um, usually uh, you kind of do independent contracting per player. Sometimes, depending on what the organization is, so um, sometimes you have a direct contact with an orchestra that says, hey, we're going to bring our players in and we're going to, you know, you contact, like the last two scores I recorded were recorded with the Budapest Symphony Orchestra. It was through a third-party contractor, but it was them, right? Now, I don't know them, so I don't know if they hired all their normal players or if they hired only certain players or what they did. Um, But like... In LA, it's all contract players. Like those players play together all the time, but they don't. It's not like you're hiring, hiring like the Los Angeles Phil. Um, usually, players for a session, <clears throat> session players like session playing requires different skills than playing a concert. Um, because, How so, so um, you're basically sight reading the music. So you, they don't have this music ahead of time. So they they unless it's a very very difficult part, then in that case, the composer will probably like. Hey, here's your music to go yeah, practice. practice this. Like, like the opening to Harry Potter. I don't think there's any way that 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 cellist player, the like the be- high bell run thing, the stuff like that wasn't sight read. And my, maybe it was. I don't think it was. But like, I think that person got it ahead of time, right? But generally, like the stuff you're hearing is recorded in like a couple takes. Like it's just, it's just, it's mind boggling. Like when you work with some of like the really high end players how they'll just like read it as if it's performance almost like it's ridiculous now granted you're doing it you're not having to play they're not like oh here's a five minute piece of music and you have to play it perfectly the first time you're doing it in smaller chunks but they're really good like they so so because of that your the performance needs of a recording session are different than a concert where at a concert you get all the music ahead of time you can go home and practice it for hours all the time and there are some really great virtuoso players who don't sight read like that. So it's a kind of a different, it just depends on where you're recording and who you're recording with. But generally, that's kind of how it works. Do you get musicians locally here? Because I know you have a setup at your home where you write stuff. And Sometimes. Um, I like to work, even on like low budget stuff, I try to, I, tr- I, I always try to make things interesting for myself. Um, so I'm not always doing the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah. And, um, and so one of the things I'll do, like, especially if it's like a Cajun themed project where they want something that's, um, you know, inspired locally, I always try to find some kind of soloist that's going to make things interesting. Um, more and more, I'm not recording in my office that much. Actually, more and more people have home setups and I'll send them, I'll send them something and then they record it at their house and they may live in Lafayette, but I'm like, man, do you really want to get out and go over to my house for 20 minutes and then drive back, (laughs) you know, that's fair. Um, you know, but I try, I try whenever I need something, especially in that vein, you know, I always try to have something like that. So where do you, I guess, find, I mean, I know the movie dictates kind of what you, what you need to write and stuff like that, but where do you find inspiration for certain things? I know, especially, you know, Cajun, you know, movies or Cajun themed movies. I'm not going to call them Cajun movies because Every Cajun I know, they put tomatoes in the gumbo in the move, you know, like, no, but like, where do you find inspiration? Like, oh, that would, like, I'm going to hold on to that. That would work good in the future or, you know. Um, so a buddy of mine, a comic artist locally actually has a whole, has a whole presentation and his summation of the presentation is inspiration is for non-professionals. Ah. Um, and it's not, and, and, and it obviously like there is always going to be some, in a creative field, there is some amount of, um, inspiration that needs to go into it, but an interesting uh, shout out to Cody Chamberlain for that because I don't want to <laughs> take it. But um, to some extent, it is true, right? Like you have to create a way. You have to break down your 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 creative process in a way that you can just repeat it over and over and over again. You can't be reliant on being like, oh, my gosh, well, I have to write two, three, four minutes of music today. What am I going to do? Um, so, so for me, um, sometimes that involves like, you know, taking a step away, I have, you know, I'll have my phone with me. I'll use voice memos. If I have an idea, I'll just sing the idea into my phone. And then it's like, all right, cool. Like I, now I have this theme out of my head or I'll sit down at the piano and you'll hear all my kids screaming in the background and I'll play <laughs> this idea that I've been like kind of brainstorming. Right. 
um, for a theme for a movie or something. Yeah, I heard a drummer by the name of Larnell Lewis once say, um, and so he was good. quoting, uh, dude, he's amazing. But he <laughs> <laughs> quoting someone else where he's like, you know, the, the shortest pin is longer than the longest memory. Yeah. So, uh, I, that makes total sense for me. You know, just, yeah. you know, let's put it somewhere because I'm not going to remember it, you and, know. And then also the, there was another teacher I had who had a good saying, which was, um, there are no perfect themes. So they're just themes that work and don't work. So like, um, and he actually in his book, which is pretty great, break broke down like just over time, he kind of observed all these different themes and for, you know, love theme, villain theme, all these different things. And then he kind of, for himself, he broke them down into characteristics of like, what do they usually do? How do they usually move up and down? Like, what are their motion? And then that was his way of kind of breaking down of like, okay, if it's a love theme, it should kind of do these things. If it's a villain theme, it should kind of do these things. Not as like a hard and fast rule, but like as a way to draw inspiration or draw ideas out. Um, because I do, I kind of agree. Like it may sound kind of strange, especially to outside, to somebody outside of the industry, but the idea of like, if Jerry Goldsmith had scored Star Wars and not John Williams, you would love the Jerry Goldsmith score. It would just be different. It wouldn't be worse. Maybe like, you know what I'm saying? Like it, it, you would just know that as the Star Wars score. So like, does that, does so I take some comfort in that, right? Like I'm not yeah. sitting, no one's going to be here like, gosh, man, someone else could have done that better. But maybe, <laughs> but, maybe. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, well, look, as a visual artist, does well, that's, this relate to you? That's what I was going to get into because, you know, I'm, I'm a painter and a, a lot of times people ask, you know, where do you get that inspiration? And, you know, people like to talk about talent a lot, right? And I kind of not take offense to it, but kind of like I look at it more of a craft yeah. than an art. Yeah. And the way I explain it is if I showed you how I did this, it would take all the magic away. Yeah. You would think, you'd be like, really? You're you're just measuring <laughs> things with your eyeballs yeah. and putting colors together that just because they complement, you know. Yeah, color theory is a thing. It, it's what it is. Yeah. I mean, music is nothing but math. Yeah. Right? Uh, so, I don't know. I feel like once you get to a certain point, there yes, there has to be inspiration. There has yeah. to be something that makes you want to do yeah, that. Spark. But there's definitely a craft to it, right? There's a there's a job to be done. Yeah, and that's and the thing is is that if you the the real rubber meeting the road thing, and I, and just like you were saying, like you have to boil down. There has to be a way for you to work, right? Like it's not like oh, I'm sitting here and I'm writing music on weekends. Like I have to be able. I I I try to keep like a nine to five schedule. I you know. I try to relegate myself to these times. I can't just, you have to treat it like a job. You can't, you can't be, <clears throat> you can't be all over the place. You'll never get anything done, you know? And then you have to break down. Like if, if for some reason, I remember when I first started, I had to have the exact same lighting whenever I worked. Like whenever I first got started before I really had like a really established workflow, it's like I had to have this lamp on and then I felt like I was in my zone, right? Like I was able to do my thing. And it just really is the way to make a career out of these things is you have to practice. Like this is my instrument. My office is my instrument. My computer is my instrument. And then just doing it over and over and over again. I'm sure with painting it's the same thing. It's like, you now know how to make these forms and now you do it right. Like you don't even think about it. I just know that if I want a certain emotion, I can voice a chord this way and then cool. It works. Yeah. And that works for me. Right. Um, and I can try something different and I can go out of the box, but also I know I have a repeatable, workflow that I can someone hands me a movie I don't just go oh my gosh what am I gonna do right and from the outside looking in that that to the average viewer probably looks like magic yeah right like oh my yeah. god how did you do that but if, it, done if it it's a, a bigger times. project and there's more money and more motive <laughs> I guess motivation for you uh does it is there like pressure to go outside the box a little bit more and, and try different things or just like, this is what got me here. This is what I'm going to continue doing. I mean, it just depends on who, what, who's asking for what. Okay. So, um, I kind of like to play in a bunch of different boxes. Like I've, I've scored everything from comedies to horror, to action movies, to Westerns. Um, I kind of enjoy the challenge of like, Oh, well this time we're doing a ambient horror score this week. We're doing a Cajun Christmas music movie, you know? <laughs> um, and, it's all about what they're asking for, right? Like the Christmas movies are very much a paint by numbers thing. Like we all know what we're doing. We know like Bells. the networks, the, the network, the Bells. network is going to give you notes and they're going to want it to be like, there are other things like nine times out of 10. So like in that case, yes. In that case, you're like, 
oh, how, like, in my mind, I'm like, how far outside of that box? Well, they're making a cookie-cutter movie. They want cookie-cutter music. Yeah. You know. I mean, I'm surprised. So, actually, on the movie I'm working on right now, they, we, I did a score a few years ago called Christmas Contract that was, that was shot at Acadian Village. And I went, like, pretty hard on the, like, Cajun elements. And I thought I was going to get in trouble for it. And I didn't. And then this movie, they tempt, they put that music in it in the temp cut. So temp, like, they put music before you write the music. They put music in just to get approval. Basically, like, hey, does this work? Does this feel right? Um, and they use that music. Oh, we love that music. I was like, okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, you know, so like, you 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 can kind of you kind of know where the box is though. Basically, in these movies, like you're not, you know, heartwarming Christmas movie. We don't need gotcha. you know, ambient horror music, but. Um, on the flip side of that, you know, doing this show, the Owl House, like it, um, it, it has like straight up horror music in it. Like, and I was wondering how far I can push that. Which for those who don't know and don't have kids is a Disney cartoon. Yeah. It's a Disney cartoon. I think it's like a preteen or teeny kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like preteen. That's why I've never heard of it because my kids aren't watching it. And, uh. And it is, um, yeah, I mean, I think probably it, it probably is in the, like, 13 to 18 range. There's a lot of actually older people who like it. Um, but, like, it gets pretty dark. Like, I, you know, when I was watching, because I, had, I hadn't really dealt with it until I was brought on to help this composer who had done the second season. And, um, and it's, just, it's just dark. I was really surprised when I watched through the show. I was like, oh, my gosh, man. Like, this is a kid's show, and it's, like, body horror and, like, random, like, stuff. Of Surprised Disney signed off on it kind of situation? Or? Yeah, well, I mean, it got canceled, so. <laughs> so I don't know if that was part of it. I mean, it was, it, was a much, it was much more mature for this cartoon, right? But, like, it's straight-up horror movie music. Like, I'm, I'm taking elements that I did with... Um, with uh other horror movies and using it like i have what i call the piano guts in my office which is basically someone gave me like they gifted me uh the insides of an upright piano so it's like 200 pound soundboard with piano strings on it and i like bow it and i hit on it and i do different effects to it in like horror movies and i did that on this kid's show and they were like this is great I'm like <laughs> all right cool scare the hell out of them you know but that that's the thing is like you never know what people are. And sometimes you kind of push that boundary and trying to find something new. But then sometimes, you know, I'm like, well, we're making, we're making this, this thing. This is the, this is the, you know, thing we're making and let's not go outside the box. So what's the project you've worked on that you're most proud of? Man. Like, like if, if our listeners who've never heard of you haven't, you know, or anything like what's the one piece you like, if you really want to know me well, and what I can do, what is this? Well, the frustrating thing is, the thing I'm most proud of hasn't come out yet, you know? It uh, So the thing I'm kind of most proud of is called The Old Way. It's supposed to come out in January. Okay. Um, it's the Nicolas Cage Western. Nice. Um, which was cool because it was one of those moments where they came to me and they said, hey, we're going for like a classic studio Western. We don't want like, like there's been a lot of Westerns recently that, is, that they, they've scored Westerns every way, right? They've had Westerns with guitars. You've had Westerns like spaghetti Westerns. You've had big work orchestra or well, you've had you know ambient randomness I, look i consider the mandalorian a western right yeah exactly you know, it, Which, it is a western exactly and, and rust yeah uh, i mean it's just like in a million different directions you know so <laughs> so sorry throw it in there but they've scored it in a million different ways but it was fun to actually get the opportunity to um score it in like kind of a classic western way you know how many times do you get to write for banjo um in a in a with an orchestra you know so. do you still write for fun no no <laughs> <laughs> I, occasionally i mean so i there's a there's a classical piece i wrote that's like kind of a short classical piece that i was asked to write for this group in europe so like that was like i guess kind of it was fun to write but i didn't write it for my own like someone asked me to write it <laughs> you, <laughs> you never just like get an idea and i, <clears throat> I want to create this piece of music just because it, i like it uh, I, I do that in like the funk realm. Nice. Okay. So like I have, there's, some a, of that. there's actually a guy in, uh, Abbeville who I work a lot with who, um, his, his artist name is Mass Donkey, M-A-S space D-O-N-K-E-Y. And, uh, 
and he and I have done quite a few little like side, you know, side projects, um, just for like, just for fun, which that's been great. Um, but I just gen- generally don't write that much for fun just cause it, it's a job. Well, people always ask me, oh, you could be a professional artist. You don't want to do this for a living. And I'm like, no, cause then I'd hate it. Yeah. Is it's that true? Yeah. Not oh, yeah. hate. Hate's a strong Oh word, no, but. there are, I mean, <laughs> I'll be like full cards on the table. There are days when I, I, I've walked out of my office recently and I was not recently, this is a, a couple months ago. And I was just dealing with a lot of projects. I was dealing with a lot of issues on the projects. And I was like, man, I hate this moment like this this like i like every job right it's it's still a job where you're dealing with people and dealing with personalities you're dealing with with like client feedback you're dealing with all these different things and um and sometimes that's great sometimes it's a very collaborative experience and then sometimes it is not so great just like anything else that's every industry like when a client comes to me you know wants to go like to disney world or whatever and and, you know, I'm selling the most magical place on earth to people. And, and whenever they hear that I have what I call park fatigue, they're yeah. like, what, what is that? I don't I'm understand. Like, I'm like, I'm tired of going to the theme parks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, it's old for me. It happens, you yeah. know? Like anything, it, the novelty wears off. You try to figure out ways to motivate yourself. Sometimes that's who you work with. Like if I really want to work with a specific person or if I really want to work in a specific genre or in a specific, with specific group of people, that can help, but there are just some of these movies, and everyone deals with them. It's that that like I just have to get through this. Like I gotta pay my bills. I gotta I gotta make my mortgage, and I just have to do that, right? Like I just have to get through this. I just need to make the client happy and get done. And it's not everyone deals with it. Like the the park fatigue, whatever it is, everyone is like at a certain point. You're like, I know. In my head, I'm like, cool. I'm glad I'm writing music for a living. Great. Awesome. But, but, it doesn't just write itself. <laughs> right. You know? There was an interview one time, with, I forget what the actor was, maybe Michael Madsen or somebody like that, who was going through his, his you know, biography of films, and he was like, yeah, that one was for my alimony. That one was for the house. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was like yeah. all the crappy movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotta pay bills, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a lot of those actors that just, like, cash in. I mean... So the cool thing about the Nicolas Cage movie is like he's kind of having a little renaissance yeah. with his um I think it was the unbearable weight of enormous talent or whatever. Like that was coming out, everyone's getting hyped on that. So not jujitsu. Not jujitsu. Okay. Um, I haven't seen it, but but, but he basically not heard good things. <laughs> yeah, basically there's a bunch of actors that are just like, well, they get into tax trouble, their their finance got mismanaged, you know, all these different things. And it's just you know, yeah, it's cool, but you know, at a certain point, they cash in and they're like, "All right, cool, I can make a lot of money, yeah. show up for a couple of days, and I don't have to do anything else. All I got to do is sit here and read lines. Excellent. Yes, let's do this." You know, interesting. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it makes sense. No, it makes sense because Samuel L. Jackson will go from Star Wars to Snakes on a Plane. You know, like it just he's, everyone's. But gonna... he's he's one of the few that has managed to somehow avoid the like the the stigma of doing too much yeah you know what i mean like there's a lot of these guys that like once you start cashing in you only have so much value but like he is one that for some reason has just like he's still samuel jackson no one's i mean he's probably the best cursor on screen i've ever seen you know yeah, like, absolutely. <laughs> unrivaled so i had a question and i lost it oh well it happened I, I'll go back real quick to um, we. I kind of asked before, and I think we got on a tangent after that. Um, are there any like, I, I, and I'm not looking for you know the Hans Zimmer and, and and John Williams and those guys, but are there any movies that you would you could suggest where hey, that you know composer who scored that film um, may not be as well known as some of these big guys that. We could go and kind of check out and, and have a listen to, and it doesn't have to be anybody you know or anything like that. Just kind of from you know, talking shop from from your perspective, who's good? Man, there's a lot. There's a lot of good composers. Um, and remember, you said you were going to send this to some people that you yeah, know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Be very, very careful. careful. <laughs> it's not an award ceremony. <laughs> uh, I'm going to come back to it. There, there's a lot of. The thing is, is there's a lot of really great composers out there. I mean, um, Ludwig has been doing. I know Ludwig's not Lo, Ludwig's low hanging fruit, but uh, Ludwig and actually a buddy of mine 
works with him and co-writes with him named Joe Shirley. Uh, Joe's great. Joe actually scored the Mandal- scored um, Boba Fett. Okay. Book of Boba Fett. Um, and it's like those guys are producing really cool stuff. Um, he, they also work with um, Teddy Shapiro, um, who is also super talented. He did a bunch of comedies. He did Tropic Thunder. Um, you know, he just did, um, oh, oh my gosh, the Apple TV series that I don't want oh, spacing on the name. Um, the Apple TV series that, that won a bunch of Emmys. Ted Lasso. No, 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 no. Dang. Uh, why am I spacing on the name? Uh, it's like in an office space. I'm, I, it's, it's a great show. Uh, Severance. There we go. Okay. He did Severance. He's great. Super nice guy. Um, there's just a lot of really great. Uh, composers out there. John Powell is great, but John Powell's an A-lister, so he's of course he's great. Um, you know, there's just there's a lot of really good material out there. Um, you know, and it's unfortunate um that so few are known about, you know, but uh what about specific films? Hmm. One or two. <laughs> or three. Or three. He, he, or he's writing down like, like, I know, he's you know, like, people taking a like, like, look, I've watched everything on Netflix. I need some more inspiration. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. What do I need to watch? Like, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm trying to think of some scores off the top of my head. I actually don't relatively listen to that many scores anymore. I used to listen to a ton of soundtracks, like, growing up. Actually, my wife and I would, my wife has played French horn, and so we used to listen to soundtracks all the time. Um, I don't listen to them that much. Mostly because I don't listen to music that much anymore. <laughs> like, outside of work. I'll listen to, like, vibe stuff, like pop yeah. music. Very, like, turn your brain off kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't listen to scores that much anymore. Um, but that, that was kind of one of my questions. Like, you know, going, working in the medical field, having medical training. My wife is a physician. I was a respiratory therapist. We cannot watch medical TV shows yeah. or medical movies. Is it the same for you with, like, anything? <laughs> like <laughs> You don't turn it off. Right. Like that, like I can still watch stuff that's well done. And, and I'm, and, but I'm thinking about like, oh, how'd they do that? Yeah. Like watching Top Gun is like, okay, how'd they do that? Right. Like I'm sitting there thinking like, okay, I know they shot in a, in a cockpit, but is it, is it a yeah. VFX shot? And I have a friend of mine who actually worked on that movie. So afterwards, I texted her husband. I was like, hey, how much of that was real and how much of that was VFX? And like, what is, so like I it's hard, you can't turn it off. Yeah, I love like one of my favorite YouTube channels is Quarter Crew. Right? Yeah, where they sit down great. and try to figure out. Yeah, it's what great. was done in each shot. Yeah, exactly. And that that their their channel is great, and um, and their stuff is uh, um, it's that kind of thing. Like you just don't turn it off, right? right. Like, and and if you see the seams, it does get very frustrating. You know, sure. like especially if you spent money on. On rotoscoping and it was on, cheap rotoscoping and yeah. Well, uh, like or, I mean, as in on my end, it's like I don't want to spend money to go watch a movie that then I'm like, oh, golly, or I yeah. rented a movie and I'm like, you know. But then there are some that like you know just the historically bad movies that have like massive cult followings that yeah. people just love, you know. Uh, like for me, it's probably Boondock Saints. Yeah. I absolutely love that movie. I haven't seen so, that movie in forever. <laughs> <laughs> I literally haven't seen that movie in decades. You've got a basketball team at home, right? Yes. Yeah. Five children. Yes. Do you have some musicians in there? I mean, you've got to, just statistically. I mean, so we have, I mean, they're not that old. So the oldest is seven. Oh, wow. So, dude, like our age You do not watch movies. No. (laughs) Well, we watch kids shows. My wife and I watch like about, you know, an hour and a half of, of like adult television shows. Just like our house. You know, exactly. (laughs) Like, and so, and even last night, so the director sent me a screener for The Old Way last night to check something. And I was like, hey, do you want to watch this with me to my wife? She's like, yeah, sure. She's like, I'd love to watch it. Because she doesn't get to watch. Because I watch my movies a million times. And I don't want to watch it again. So I was like, okay, well, we, I, I'm excited about this movie. Let's watch this movie. Because I got to check stuff. I fell asleep almost immediately. Did, and then, and then I woke copy, up three times through the movie. And I'm like, what is happening right now? Did that copy have a score? Yeah, it's it's the final. Du- it's, oh, so okay. it's just like it's like a reference cut to make sure that everything's properly in mixed place, and because yeah. I gotta imagine when you get those those cuts that have no score, they it's can, not enjoyable, right? Or can it be? Uh, not usually. Yeah. I mean, it can it can be interesting, right? Um, and also there is situations where there's like bad music in it. So, um, <laughs> I've had a couple movies. I kind of want to see that. Now. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, it's it's hard. So there was there's been a couple movies that I've worked on where like the temp music was actively bad. So the music that the editor put in was actively bad. 
Um, cause, cause basically whenever you edit the movie for, for, uh, just to make sure that we're on the same page, when you edit the movie, you have to get it approved, right? So you have producers and sometimes a director and the producers oftentimes are just like, they're just a finance person. Like uh, they're not, they're not necessarily the creative, there are creative producers they are also finance producers and you have to please everybody as best you can. So you can't just send, and sometimes they'll even, in bigger movies, they'll do like a studio, like a test screening. So they're, they're even showing it to audiences to see how people react, and they'll test a few different cuts and see, okay, are they happier with this? Are they less happy with this? Um, so you have to kind of make it consumable for the general public. So they put in this music that's temporary music, thus temp music, and um, there have been some that I've worked on where, like, I watched the movie, and I remember specifically one, I was sitting with the director watching the movie, and we finished it, and I was like, man, I really wish we did not have temp music in this movie. Because it just, it's all wrong. Like, it doesn't, like, none of the moments work. Like, it's all, like, it just doesn't, it's not what you're asking me to do. Like, it doesn't, like, we, it, like, it's hard for me to even tell how the performances work because the music doesn't it's work. It's distracting. It's distracting, <laughs> right? It's all in the wrong place. It's all, like, it's just not what it needs to be doing. And that can happen. Um, and in that case, I was like, I would rather watch it without the temp. And also if I have the time, sometimes I like watching it without the temp because, um, you're getting a very clean slate, right? You're not, you're not, you're not influenced by anything else that someone else previously had done. Um, sonically, you know, so there's a lot of composers who will say, I only want to watch it without temp music. I never want to hear the temp music ever. So that way you're never, because there's some influenced. Studios, yeah. Cause there's some, there's whole videos of like, speaking of going down rabbit holes, there's whole videos of like, Hey, and my wife and I will play this game sometimes when we watch movies. This is why we're big music nerds. Right. So like, we'll watch a, a scene and we're like, what is this tempt with? <laughs> and like, it's because it's because there's certain scores and you can find it. Like you can, you can hear it in certain scenes. You can hear these things. And you're like, that was tempt with this other score because it sounds exactly like that score. And it's the same movement. It's the same thing. And probably somebody in the food chain, whether it was a producer or a director, you'll get the note. that's like, hey, I need it to be like the temp. Get as close to the temp as possible without legally, us getting, legally without getting, getting sued. sued. So, <laughs> like, you can actually kind of, as you kind of grow and learn about scores and these different things, you'll get to that point where you're like. You hear it everywhere. You hear it. So, you, you know, like, oh, this was probably temp with this other movie yeah, or this I, other classical piece. I just seen that uh, it was a TikTok, I believe, where this woman played like a Gregorian chant. Yeah. And she's like, this is in every freaking movie. It's almost like the Wilhelm scream of musical scoring, you know. But also at the same time, I think another YouTube channel, Two Set Violin, had uh, reacted to a video of like classical pieces that John Williams pretty much yeah, ripped, ripped off. off. Yeah, you know, like and stuff like that. Yeah, so there's, I mean, even with Star Wars, there's another, um, <clears throat> there's another movie. King something. I don't remember what it is. It's like from the 1940s. And when you hear the opening music, it's like, it sounds exactly like the theme from Star Wars. Like, a lot. And then there's also, this goes back to also, I mean, if you go through a lot of Hans Zimmer's movies, um, they're all very similar because it kind of, I think that's what's happening. Is you're getting tempted with the other movie's score. And then that's how that process keeps getting repeated over and over and over again. Right? Um because it's just easier. There's well, a, it's, I mean, it's again, all, well, like the you person, have a process, like you have to get this done. Yeah. But also you're, you're dealing with somebody it, it's, it's easier, but it's also, you're dealing with, um, people who are not necessarily creatives. Right. Right. So you're, you're working to please someone who's not necessarily a creative person, right? Like when you're making a painting and you're making it for your grandmother, and your grandmother's like, well, I really like the I brown really like and Tony green. Bernard. Can you please make it look it's, like yeah. it's, it's yeah, why yeah. I essentially yeah, I, it, I stopped doing commissions. Yeah, it's 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 you have to you have to please the client. That's what you need to do. And at a certain point, especially if especially if they've seen the other cuts with the temp music in it, that's what they have in their head. And it takes time to break that. Yeah. So there are times when you you just don't have the time, you don't have the effort, you're not gonna win that fight because you're the employee. Right, unless you're somebody who just really has, you know, a name to throw around. Like no one's going to John Williams and like, well, look, John, I really need to like the temp. No one's doing that. <laughs> but but like but that's the kind of thing where it's like, um his response his response would obviously be, I am the temp. Um no, but the but the whole thing is like at a certain point, 
you're getting notes from people who aren't necessarily music people. So, and they liked it the other way. It got approved that way, right? Like we test screened it for audiences. They loved that. So let's do that, right? <clears throat> now, speaking of uh, YouTube videos, there's another channel that I follow, uh, Pat Finnerty, who does these, these videos called Why Does This Song Stink? And it's he's hilarious, and he takes songs and he breaks down like th- like music theory, essentially, or n- not not that not that deep. <laughs> not that <Okay>. deep. <laughs> That's fine. More comically, but he he okay. definitely he, a lot of it goes into like oh the, this riff was ripped off from this song and yeah and and every time I'm like yeah it does sound just like that, but the more I watch the more I'm like. I, there's just so much music that's been produced in the past hundred years. Yeah. That does it get to a point where like doesn't matter you could write something completely original well, I mean, and I, just go of course it's gonna sound like something else because there's so much out there. I, I think about that every time like a lawsuit comes up when you know someone sues a current artist, you know, the estate of yeah. such and such. I'm like, you hey, have to have well, there was the, the blurred lines case is kind of a right. weird situation. So the blurred lines case is a movie not a movie. Not a movie. A, 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 a school. Oh my god! A song. Good it's Lord. a song. It's, it's a, a song. song. It's a song, and uh, it basically was ripping off. I mean, I, allegedly ripping off uh, a Marvin Gaye track, right? right? Like that was the whole thing. Like the vibe was very similar, and it went to court, and they and Marvin Gaye's estate won, and the and the judge was like, "Oh, it's, it's the vibe," and everybody in the music <laughs> industry is like, "What? That's insane!" Because the only thing you can copyright is the melody over the chords. You can't copyright the chords. You can take chords from anything you want. But so you can there's take, only so many chords. There's only so many chords. And you can take whatever chords. I could take the chords from any song I want right now, use them, and write a whole new a whole new melody over them. It's a, it was a big thing, especially in like jazz standards. People would take, oh, I love the chord progression from this standard. I'm going to take this. I'm going to write a whole well, new I mean, melody over it. And basically... Um, there was some person who had calculated actually theoretically how many copyrightable, you know, how many, how many actual melodies there would be. It was just uh, so many that it's just so the combination is just so much between chord and. Well, and I mean, I, I, one of the most popular YouTube videos of all time was the axis of awesome's four chord song. Yeah. Where they literally took the same four chords and turned same. out every single pop yeah. hit ever. Yeah. You know, Cause they just changed a different melody on top of the same chord progression. Yeah. And you know, yeah. And also, but there also has to be a certain element of like, in order, you have to, I, th- I think the standard, I'm not a lawyer, just put that out there. For, and the thing I've been advised about, because I have to have, I have to have insurance for that. I have to have, uh, to be able to work on like commercials and stuff, you have to have um, basically professional insurance to cover. Like if somebody sues you, say, hey, that's my song, that's my melody. And basically you have to just prove through a musicologist that like, hey, there was no overlap. Like two people could have the same melody idea, but you didn't actually ever experience that other melody. So there has to be some amount of like, I don't know if intent. intent. I don't know if intent's the right word, but like theoretically you have to have some amount of like, Hey, this is what you listened to before you did this, or you interpolated that, right? Like the Marvin Gaye situation was like an interpolation of that song. Like they, they borrowed a lot of elements heavily from the Marvin Gaye um, track. So that was that's the the non lawyer response. Consult your legal representatives. <laughs> <laughs> so we're getting close to, to time here. Lucas, did you have anything you wanted to ask before we wrapped up? I'm gonna check out Mass Donkey. There you go. Yeah. But do no, it. It's, it's, this has been fantastic. Dude, it's been a I could do another fun. hour, honestly. Yeah, probably. So um before we go, I'm I'm starting to ask similar questions at the end of the episodes. And we're curious, as a Youngsville resident, what would you like to see? brought to the city um i would really love for there to be more office space (laughs) uh i I say that only half jokingly i did actually look for office space recently and i couldn't find any but i also i am a problem tenant in the sense that i make noise right like i'm not just answering phone calls all day um yeah i mean i have a family here so i would love i would i'm excited to see what um in the in the world of concert venue, the you know the shapes up the amphitheater. Yeah. Um, it would be great to have that kind of space. You know, I would love to see some kind of small indoor theater kind of situation. Um, you know, like that kind of stuff would be would be awesome. Um, okay. So I'm excited to see how things shape up with the the expansion of the uh, sports complex. So since you don't write music for fun anymore, correct? How much are you going to charge us to write an intro? 
Oh, man, I'll do it for free. I'll do See, it for he free. does yeah. write for fun. All right. I didn't say it was fun. <laughs> he's just, no, he's just going to give us something he already has. <laughs> exactly. exactly. He's not going to write anything. Halloween why song does this, for, why yeah. does this sound like a Marvin Gaye track? I don't understand. <laughs> Please don't give us blurred lines. <laughs> or Cardi B. Yeah. Well, mostly Cardi B. That was, wasn't that, that was the concert that, yeah, go. yeah, 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 that's absolutely. right. Exclusive. Hyman, Hyman Performing Arts <laughs> presents, <laughs> presents Cardi B, B. <laughs> and Robin Thicke. Oh, God. <laughs> well, with that being said, this has been Roundabout Now. 